there are some women who, and men who give a standing running commentary of their marriage. Okay, running commentary on their marriage every day to their family, their mum, and then she remote controls the marriage. Right, do this, do that. All right, or to their friends, a group of friends on WhatsApp, and giving a whole, and they're giving their feedback. So this woman can't think for herself. I've had that case. Right? We've got enough soap operas out there. We've got Netflix. You don't need another one. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin Amma ba'd Qala Allahu ta'ala fil Qur'anil majidi wal furqanil hamid Wa laqad arsalna rusulam min qablik Wa ja'alna lahum azwajan wa dhurriya Sadaqallahul azim Brothers and sisters, I think out of everything Mawlana Asim said, I think probably the most relevant, relevant things for uh, relevant points for today is that I decided to write a book a few years ago on marriage, uh, this handbook of a healthy Muslim marriage, uh, because I by then had been married for over 20 years and had been dealing with people's uh, questions on marriage for about 20 years as well, on and off. And then increasingly, uh, increasingly so uh, in the last few of those years. So I felt that I was probably qualified to write on it. Because, I mean, everybody writes books. Nowadays, you can very easily write books. So um, I felt that it was a need to write this book because there's just so many questions and you had to keep explaining the same things over and over again. And there's literally common mistakes that people make and common issues that there are across the board in many, many cultures. Some are culture-specific, right? However, there's others which are just universal human failings in marriage and ignorance uh, about certain experiences. So I thought, let's put it down. So now, alhamdulillah, people have found the book, it seems, uh, from you know how many we've been able to publish or had to publish until now. They found it useful and beneficial. So um, a lot of couples, they're actually reading through the book like to the, together. So they'll read a small section and then discuss it. Now, some of the stuff that I'm going to discuss today is going to be additional content, which is not in the book. Uh, you can't you know, get everything because marriage is so vast. It's so uh, specific. There's, a lot of, there's some things that are universal across the board, right? That would be beneficial for everybody, but then there's a lot of unique situations. So if somebody asks you, can you please tell us how to improve your marriage? I can give, just like the question is so general, I can give general answers to that, but it won't, might not be for your particular situation. Because um, to get your marriage right, there's perspective in there as to what you expect from the marriage, what you should expect from marriage, what marriage is supposed to be about, what is not supposed to be about. A lot of people think marriage is supposed to fulfill X, Y, and Z. Well, not necessarily. That's not really what marriage is there for. So your expectations have to be correct. And based on your expectations of what marriage should be for, and what it's actually for or not for, there's going to be so many variants. Right? Plus, marriage has a huge cultural dimension to it. Whether you like it or not, it's something you cannot escape. In fact, nobody can escape culture. Even those who hate culture, just, they've just basically picked another culture or developed another culture. Culture is essentially what you do and why you do it, and your ingrained ideologies, and what they make you think and do, and so on. That's essentially what culture is. No human can be without a culture, right? So it's just about developing a good culture 
getting rid of bad aspects of culture and adopting and celebrating the good aspects of our culture. Remember that culture is going to be the most powerful, usually for the majority of people, culture is the most powerful factor in your life. Even if you consider yourselves to be not cultural, all that means is I'm probably not part of my father's culture or my mother's culture. I've just developed another culture, right? You can never escape culture. That's why what you can do though is you can take the best of any culture and modify your culture and free yourself from debilitating aspects of your culture. So that's a very, very important discussion. And culture has a massive, uh, really, really, really big Influence on a marriage. You can't escape it. Also, a lot of people think that marriage is just between me and my spouse. And that's a major fallacy. Unless, of course, what you do is you get married and then you just go off somewhere and live alone on an island and get to know one another and that's all you're worried about and there's nobody else there. Then I guess you have to worry about the animals around you and the nature around you. They become part of your family, right? There's always going to be some... We live in a quantum world and there's no way to escape that. I've seen cases of a couple, uh, Gujarati and Bengali. Uh, husband Gujarati, Bengali, outside of culture they married essentially, and they literally made it a point to say, we are acultural, meaning uh, no culture. They both said that. They were both probably known in their family to be against culture as such, or thinking of essentially, you can say, uh, removing the shackles of culture in their mind almost, right? So they decided to do that, but within a few months into the marriage, they decided, they, they discovered, they started discovering you can't escape this stuff. And then they both had to fall for the culture. Because, and then eventually they got divorced. Because it was on the wrong grounds that they got married. So celebrate the good aspects of your culture and free yourself from the debilitating, incapacitating aspects of your culture. So culture's part of it and your family is always going to be part of it. Remember, when two people get married, the whole family gets married. That's the idea, and socially that's the idea. In fact, many of the marriages of the Prophet ﷺ were much bigger than that. There were tribes coming together. Tribes, both in the Ottomans and in many cultures, many, many, many civilizations in the world and many people in the world, only now, maybe not in our individualistic postmodern society, where it seems like it's okay just for two individuals and let's ignore everybody else. Even then, what you're ignoring just maybe your family, but you're gonna, you can't ignore people around you at your work and other places. So, however, marri marriage was a big idea. When people got married into a, another tribe, then that means that these two tribes became allies. That was a major... In fact, uh, they would literally try to find somebody, uh, the leaders. The Prophet's marriages, some of them were like that, to Juwayriya, radiallahu anha. That was to do with uh, a, a tribal... She was the daughter of a, a tribal leader. Suf uh, Safiya uh, bintu Huyay, radiallahu anha, again another case, she was from a Jewish tribe. Um, so and that, that's, that's what they used to do, to get married into another tribe, and mashallah, then we've got uh, marriage contacts now, we become like family. So marriage is a big idea, and I don't think people understand the, the profundity of marriage. It's one of the most important things, it's when you bring more humans into this world through, in the Islamic in the Islamic understanding of it, in the human understanding of it. So that has to be a very, very powerful idea, very deep idea, very important and significant idea. It's not like I find somebody who I'm attracted to, who I'm really like impressed by and maybe obsessed by and fallen 
uh, emotionally attached to and I can't get away and that's it. We're going to have this romantic idea. Romance is just a perk on the side. But in terms of really what a marriage is supposed to fulfill, there's a lot more than the romance. Romance, I think, is just the incentive that Allah has put within us emotions and love and fulfillment through marriage. You know, the sexual fulfillment that you get, that's an incentive at the end of the day to procreate, right? Um, to, to have children, to continue the human progeny. That's what Allah wants in this world, right? That's why He created the world and created human beings to procreate. So that's one of the objectives of it. And anybody who gets that wrong, they're just not doing it right. So can you see how many facets? It's a very, very multifaceted institution, marriages. And when you don't understand that dynamic of it, when you don't understand that comprehensiveness uh, of this and you reduce it down to something silly or just something uh, simplistic or just uh, basically nafsi, uh, nafs-based egotistic uh, uh, fulfillment, then that, that's, th- that's when you start losing out on this and that's when you don't get the full fulfillment of marriage. Somebody asked me a question uh, several months ago that um, if you've been married for you know, over five years, I think, uh, 20 years or whatever it is, right? When you get to about 20 years, does the love increase? This guy just married recently, maybe one or two years, said, does the love increase? So that got me thinking that, does the love increase? I think if your love hasn't gotten to a very firm place within two to three years, probably maximum, then you're doing something definitely wrong. Like within about two to three years, because what happens in marriage, these are just general thoughts, right? I'm starting off with to give you guys some thinking to do on this, is that you get married, right? So essentially the dynamic here is that if that's, uh, it's, a similar, it's a similar idea, but just much more intimate because it's a 24-hour thing. Similar to me picking a business partner and doing business together. Or if you want to go smaller than that uh, on a shorter, in a shorter duration, if I decide to go with uh, somebody on a journey, a month's journey somewhere. Right? So what's going to happen is that we're going to have to get used to one another. Uh, I have to figure out what they like and dislike. They're going to have to figure my likes and dislikes. What kind of food do we like to eat? So the next time we choose a place to go, then we both know that this is our middle ground. We, we both will enjoy this because one guy might not like pasta or rice and so on and so on. simple things. So you get to know one another, right? You're learning to know one another in marriage so that you don't upset them and they don't upset you. And you... Uh, accommodate for them and they accommodate for you. You can't know everything about a person until you actually start living with them. So slowly, slowly, you start developing that understanding of each other. Think of it, right? That's, that's what happens. So you might even end up having certain debates and arguments and conflicts. That happens in the beginning. And if you're really serious, both of you, right, both of the couples are serious about making it work, they're going to they're gonna do sacrifices. They're going to invest time. They're going to go uh, and uh, be compassionate and contributing. And they're going to try to make an effort to please the other person and not do something that bothers them. So if it's a minor issue, I can overlook, no problem. I'd rather overlook that than to insist it's my way. Now, once you've got narcissistic personalities uh, in that, then it, it's just, if it's only one narcissistic one and the other one's just willing to bend over backwards, maybe it'll carry on for a, for a, for a while and maybe forever, but with some unpleasant uh, feelings and maybe just with total, um, uh, it, people aren't going to be happy, right? Neither side will be happy, but there's an ego on one side, 
right? So it just carries on, but it's not a very happy marriage. So you both need to make that sacrifice. You can start off with one person who does have ego problems and does have anger issues, but if they're willing to make this work because they understand it, then they're willing to curtail their anger. They'll actually learn within their marriage. I know a number of people have actually learned to control their anger through marriage. They've literally had to because they know that there's too much at stake here. Like marriage is an amazing place to learn a lot of akhlaq. That's what you need for marriage is akhlaq. Out of all of the dini aspects, aside from salat and all of that, which connects you to Allah, the actual interaction is all based on akhlaq and character. So what happens is that uh, it's going to take a few months, within a year, two years. Now, what happens is that the world throws at us various different aspects. So let's say me and my uh, wife get married, and in terms of everyday, normal, everyday life, going work, coming back, shopping, etc. We've overcome the hurdles of that. We've overcome the conflicts in that regard. Like we mo- might both go for shopping and then I might want to buy certain types of products. She might want to buy another type of product. I may be fine with shop brands, store brands. She's like, no, you have to buy Heinz, for example, right? Or Kellogg's. You can't buy store brand. You can't shop at Aldi. We must shop at... Uh, Waitrose, right? You understand, I can't buy George clothing. It must be uh, Debenhams is gone now, next, for example, or Harrods, if you really want to go up Selfridges or something. You understand, you eventually, if you both want to get somewhere, you will both convince one another and reach a middle ground. That's really important. You reach a middle ground by listening to the other. If you don't listen, and it's my way. For example, if my wife comes from another village, another family, uh, as, as she does, they make biryani for Indian Pakistanis. That's very important, like the main dish, right? Um, they make it a different way. There's multiple ways to make biryani. I mean, I've had, I remember last Ramadan in Australia, in a very multicultural society. I was in Atikaf. Seven days, we had seven different biryanis, literally. Hyderabadi biryani, Bangalore biryani, um, a Gujarati biryani uh, from different places. Uh, it, it, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of biryanis, right, you can have. Now, if I'm going to insist that it must be like my mother's biryani, then I must realize that she did not learn under my mother. She's got a different style of biryani. Now, if I, uh, a lot of people, what they do is that, didn't your mother teach you anything? That's what it gets down to. You just don't realize that there's various ways of doing that. Have some patience. Now, I'm only talking about husband and wife. I'm not even talking about mother-in-law yet. That adds a whole bigger dimension to it. right? So... You have to eventually, look, I appreciate that biryani, but could you also learn my mother's style because I really enjoy that. Now, the wife has to be obviously accommodating for that. The mother-in-law needs to play ball and teach them that as well. Then she can make two types of biryani. Now, if the wife's going to be stubborn, no, this is my way of biryani. I don't care about the other style of biryani. You're going to have fraud. That's just an example. Clothing, uh, having children or not, how to bring them up, what kind of clothing each of the individuals are going to wear. I've had cases where the, the wife's, uh, you know, even, you know, a niqabi, but she likes to dress in what the husband reckons is not very good clothing. So there's that tussle. There's, there's good multiple. There's just multiple things you have to overcome within one or two years. But if you've never traveled together, for example, in two years, and then the third year you start traveling, that's going to add a whole new dimension to it. I know couples who've, just about divorced during Hajj. 
Because, you know, Hajj is already a stressful situation. So I would definitely not say don't go on a honeymoon, honeymoon for Hajj. Like really, because Hajj is already difficult, especially if you've not done it a few times before. It's very difficult. And then shaitan is really there to mess everybody up. So there's been people who've divorced in Hajj. Because it's just very stressful. Right? And then to learn about one another, uh, you know, what time we're going to go to the tawaf and what time we're going to do this, where we're going to eat, what time you're going to go some other time. I want to wake up at this time to go. All of these are. But I say within two to three years, you get to know one another and you figure out that's only if you want to invest in one another and if you want to make this work. Because you have to give sacrifice. You can't have it your way. Otherwise, that's going to be a miserable marriage. And if you're the one who's right all the time, then you're going to be celebrating alone all the time. Right? You will celebrate, but you'll celebrate alone, and then people are going to be miserable all around you. That's a really big issue. So selfishness does not work. So that's why, going back to the original question, within three years, I think you'll figure it all out. And if within three to five years you still haven't, and there's just still surprises, and you just can't uh, come to terms on certain things, then that's very, very problematic. You need, then you need outside uh, counseling, you need outside intervention. And if you don't get that, then you probably, after 20 years, will probably have a divorce. Because in the last several months to a year now, I've dealt with about four cases or five, which are 20 to 25-year-old marriages with uh, over teenage children, young, uh, young adult children, and now they're finally going to divorce. Why? Because... It's literally just been going down for a long time, but they don't want to do anything about it. And a lot of them are waiting for miracles to sort it out. They're not willing to take a stand and actually do something. They literally just think it's going to become a miracle. When they call, and they literally leave you no option, so you then ask them that, what, what do you expect me to say that's going to change your marriage? Like literally. Because when you tell them, do this, oh, no, that can't happen. What about this? No, that can't happen. I said, what, what do you expect me to say to you? If you don't take the bitter pill then, that's why, that's why my uh, experience from all of this is get help sooner than later. Right? Get help sooner than later. So, if you, if you have made, if you are willing to make the investment and be flexible and become a unit that complement one another and take the strengths of both individuals and... Um, deal with our own weaknesses because every single human being is created with a package of weaknesses and a package of strengths, like a selection. I'll talk about this in a bit more detail uh, in the next section, but keep that in mind. Everybody, there's nobody who's perfect except Allah's messengers, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Allah. Everybody else has issues. Yes, if you're experienced, you're a, you're, you're a professional in something, you probably will be right most of the time. Right? Like if I'm experienced in jujitsu, I'm probably going to be right about jujitsu most of the time, but still not 100% of the time. Anything. You know, you're, you, you are an expert in something. Yes, you could be most of the time. Overwhelming majority of the time, but never all the time. And you'd be surprised that sometimes somebody else will come up with an idea that you never thought about. Okay, so uh, when you keep that in mind, so after, uh, after that five, three to five year adjustment period, then it should be relatively easy sailing, okay? There'll still be ups and downs, but you now you know one another and you know where to negotiate, where to push and where to take a step back. So then 
what happens is I think the love, the question was, does love become incre increased? I don't think so. I think that increases, that increase of love is within the first few years. After that, I think it just becomes more refined. The love becomes more refined. Because then you start appreciating one another. You start appreciating one another and you already know how to overlook the weaknesses. Remember, there's always going to be weaknesses. You can have, never have someone who's perfect because neither are you perfect. Because no human can be perfect. You know, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, lessons is that if we can realize that we're not perfect and we're not going to get anybody who's perfect, then I think that's the biggest lesson you can have. Just like in life, if we can learn that you can never have a perfect life or change your definition of a perfect life. That there will be calamities, problems and hiccups in life which are part and parcel of this world, not in paradise. Right? Paradise is just full afia. Hellfire is just full problems. This world has both. And when you learn the nature of this world, then, then it gets easier. So I think, uh, I think what happens with love is it gets more refined. It gets more sophisticated. That's really what happens when you start appreciating one another. You'll get married and you had certain, like if you're a perfectionist, so you've got a criteria. So you get married with somebody hoping that they're going to meet that criteria. And very soon you're going to realize that some things, well, you better realize that in some things they're probably never going to be up to your standard in some things. In other things they could be. You can definitely teach one another. You can definitely enhance one another. But there'll be some things that they will never, never be able to accomplish. That's just a weakness, right? And not everything can be sorted out. You just have to live with that. And coupled with the dua of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the dua, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun wa ja'anna lil muttaqina imama. Our Lord grant us from our spouses. So husband can read it for uh, wife or wives, wife can read it for husband, uh, and dhurriyatina. That means children and progeny. That Allah just thinks big. Right? So it's progeny until the day of judgment. I want those from there who are the gladness of the joy of my eyes. And make me the Imam of the Muttaqeen. So everybody's an Imam in their family. The husband, the wife, they're Imams of their families at the end of the day because they've got a, a role to play, right? So he's saying, make me an Imam for the Muttaqeen, which basically is saying, make the people under me, or in my charge rather, uh, righteous. And make me their imam. So it's a beautiful dua. The ulama say that this is such a wonderful dua, right? A magical dua, they literally some have said. That it will... What Allah will do when you do this dua is that the things that bother you about your spouse, He'll either get, eliminate those things so that those faults will be eliminated if they're eliminatable within the, the, the knowledge of Allah. Or they will become insignificant in your sight. Have you noticed that before where something bothers you first but eventually you overcome the bother of it? It's still a problem, but it doesn't bother you anymore. So you have to think on all of these levels to get this right because it's a very, very important aspect. And uh, can, uh, You've probably already noticed that the marriages that you might have seen which are a bit on the rocks are probably because of some of these issues. These are, this is basically the, the crux of the matter, the whole journey of it. Right. Of course, there's detail in every aspect of this. So, it gets more sophisticated. 
it better get more sophisticated. We learn about one another. We learn everything about one another. And different personalities just take uh, less time to learn about one another. Uh, some people may be very extroverted. Some people are very introverted. So all of that just adds to the mix of that, mix of that challenge. But you must be open-minded, flexible, and wanting. And, and selflessness is very, very important. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So what I'm going to discuss is um, the, the next part. The, the next part that I'm going to discuss is essentially something that is beneficial at any level of marriage. It's beneficial for those who are not yet married, beneficial for those who are just married, and it's inshallah it's also beneficial for those who are veterans in marriage. Okay, any veterans in marriage here? Inshallah. A veteran is probably somebody who's you know probably over 20, uh, 20 years of marriage, and they're going to get their children married very soon. Yeah, alhamdulillah, mashallah. So at least one veteran in marriage. Yeah, no, I've had. Uh, I mean, alhamdulillah, I think. Um, I got married at the age of 22 I was supposed to get married at 25 I got married at the age of 22 And I think I've never looked back I, I wish I'd done it at 20 Right, it, you know, I think it really, really provides An amazing amount of sukoon And that's what it's supposed to do If you do it right, that's what it gives you So I wish I'd done it before Right, I mean, uh, in, in terms of how good it's been How good it can be uh, Alhamdulillah So what I'm going to speak about now is preparation for marriage. How is that relevant to those who are already married? Because if you, have, if you did not prepare in what I'm saying, it's probably causing you problems. So that's why while I call it preparation of marriage, you can take it as enhancement of your marriage. So there is some things you can correct afterwards. Right? It's not like once I remember... I was trying to buy a car and there were two Honda Accords. This was in America. One of them had AC, the other one didn't, but that was a better deal. So I was like, can I buy both and you can take the AC out of here and put it in there? I said, no, no, you don't do that kind of stuff. So you can't retrofit those kinds. It's not worth it. That's just too much of an effort. But what we're speaking about here is that all of these things I speak about can be sorted out. Right? I'm not talking about somebody's color. Right? That might be difficult to correct. Right? Uh, or somebody's height you, know, you understand? That's not what we're speaking about here We're speaking about things that can be corrected That can be changed That can be enhanced And that can get worse So uh, Firstly Let us look at what preparation means For a lot of people What does preparation for marriage mean? So let's start off The first time you start speaking about marriage right, Is when you are about 16, 17 years old 18 or 19 and one auntie of yours will broach the subject and say, yeah, we need to get you married. We need to start looking for something. And then you feel very validated. Yeah, man, this auntie really gets it, right? It's something you might have thought about and somebody has discovered that for you. So you get a bit excited. Butterflies in the stomach, right? Anybody remember that? That first encounter, first discussion of marriage? Anybody remember it? No, you do, right? Yes. Uh, the rest of you, nobody's done that to you or... It didn't happen, you just went into it Okay, alhamdulillah Anyway, then uh, what happens is that When you do find somebody to get married, right? So let's say you've discovered somebody You've identified somebody And you've agreed to get married to them So then there's all of these crazy rituals And everything about when You have to make sure everybody from other countries Can get here And they just unduly delay And you're like, just let me get married, right? I don't really care for anybody else But some people make it very, very difficult 
Let's just say that you're going to get married in two months or five months. Then you start preparation. Preparation means now every weekend becomes shopping week. That's why they say that the best marriages are those that are going to be in three weeks. You only have to do three weeks of shopping. You get it all done. Otherwise, every week it's a headache and a hassle. right? Then you have to worry about who you're going to invite. You have to worry about venue. This is all preparation. Venue, who you're going to invite, what the cuisine or the food is going to be, who's going to cater. All of that stuff is... Uh, all of that is what you have to worry about. What you're going to wear on those few days, right? Uh, a, a dress for the, the wedding day and sometimes for the five days prior, right? And then the next day, the walima day, then maybe you have to worry about a honeymoon. The guy will probably have to worry about where he's going to stay. So the room or an apartment or a house or whatever to sort that out, okay? Clothing, <laughs> all of that is what you worry about. How much of this, except obviously the house where you're going to stay, how much of this is going to help you afterwards? Not much of it. When the real, you know, when the romantic period is over, when you come back down from the clouds, okay? When the real, uh, when, when the real interaction begins in just normal everyday work, right? When you start living together, where you can't go out as much as you used to before, you can't uh, spend the same time doing what you used to do and now it's about a new investment who's prepared for that hardly anybody prepares for that they prepare the room they might prepare clothing right and things like that but they don't prepare the actual most important ingredients for this which is the behavioral aspect this is when that starts nobody prepares for this right nobody prepares for this they just think it's just going to happen and a lot of the time it, it doesn't just happen because we have issues within ourselves that are really going to cause issues. And those who are married know, know what we're speaking about, possibly. So what do we need to then prepare? How do we prepare? This is the most... And I've not covered this in my book, right? I've not covered what I'm going to say now in my book. This is all new content. So what I did was before, uh, when I prepared the book... And before I published, before I sent it to the printers, I sent it to about 20 different people to read beforehand and critique for me. Majority of them were women. And the reason for that, I wanted it to be relevant for women as well as men. I've never been a woman and never will be a woman, inshallah, right? Men don't always understand women. You have to recognize that. And women don't understand men all the time. But I wanted it relevant. So majority, I sent, majority of those 20 people or so were women. There were some alimas and there were some other regular people and some other professionals. And I took their feedback and I incorporated their feedback. And alhamdulillah, people have found that useful. There's one person that get back, this was a guy, he said, you've not spoken about premarital counseling. I mean, we're struggling with in-marital counseling. There's just not enough counselors. And this guy was talking about premarital counseling. What does that mean? Okay. And that's very, very important. So what I, and I, while I've mentioned it in there briefly, what I'm going to say now is basically not in the book, is how do you premaritally counsel someone or yourself actually? You can actually do this yourself. You start off with yourself. So I must now think that what is it about me that is going to encroach on a marriage, that's going to cause some issue in marriage? Because it usually causes issues with my friends, with my brothers and sisters, or in group settings. What are the challenges I face? Now, going back to the point I made earlier, is that 
every human being is born with a set of weaknesses which are challenging. They get angry quickly. They're stingy. They are overly emotional. Right? And, and so on. And they also come with a set of qualities, advantages. The successful human being in anything are those who discover their qualities and discover their weaknesses and do something about them and harness their qualities to get something out of this world. So you look at successful people, right, who are doing decently, that's what they've done. And the losers are the ones who've not figured this out. Right? That's a simple thing. This is what I tell children now, right? This, this, this will help you for tarbiyat of children. Every one of your child will have a set of uh, qualities and a set of uh, weaknesses. We have to, do, even twins, one will be laid back and one will be go get it. One will be angrier than the other. One will be greedier than the other, right? One will be smarter than the other. All of these have pros and cons. And we have to discover that within ourselves as well. So I need to figure out now, what, do, what is it gonna, that's going to cause an issue possibly? So um, can you guys think of things that are factors in marriage that cause issues in terms of behavior and personality? Some factors. Then we'll discuss those. Because we need to self-diagnose. So I'll, I'll open it up to you guys. What do you think? Give me a few ideas. Stubbornness is definitely an issue. Okay, that's one. What else? Stinginess is definitely an issue. Power struggle. So that usually comes from arrogance and stubbornness, right? That's really what it comes down to. It creates a power struggle, right? What else? Financial, financial incapacity, you could say, or uh, in, in, in incompetence or something like that. Yeah, definitely finance is a big one. Empathy. Sorry? Empathy. Empathy and compassion, definitely. So uh, these are some of the issues. So we have to think. So let's take one. Let's start off with anger. How do you know you've got an anger problem? Right? How do you know you've got an anger problem? Very simple. Compare yourselves to you if you've got brothers and sisters. Compare yourselves to them. Are you the one that flies off the handle sooner than others? I think I did, compared to at least two of my brothers, I think I'm, I had a bigger anger problem. Compare yourself to your friends. Who's the one that kind of gets riled up quickly? Whether rightfully or, or otherwise. Especially, you know, because we love ourselves, so we're going to justify a lot and be defensive. But still, you have to think about this. If you've got an anger problem, what helped me a lot is uh, the readings like Ghazali, Rahimahullah. You know, the readings of our Mashaikh that speak about these things. Um, uh, a number of others, Hakim al And a lot of readings like that, the verses of the Quran about Kaathimeen al ghayb those who control their anger, the hadiths about it. Abu Dharr radiallahu anhu once, he's got a little dispute with somebody and they're out in the fields, uh, which has got uh, a lot of uh, puddles on the ground. And during his argument, uh, during his little heated discussion, he sits down. So the person is wondering, they carry on the discussion, and then he lies down. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, the Prophet ﷺ told me to do this. Because usually the studies have shown that you're less confrontational when you're sitting than when you're standing. And you're least confrontational when you're lying down. So that's why they say, just a side point, if you ever want to critique someone, you want to tell somebody something wrong than done and try to sort them out, don't grab them outside the masjid and say, brother, I need to talk to you and then take them to the side and stand up because then that's very confrontational. What you do is sit them down. And if you really can, uh, lie them down in a nice, uh, you know, a nice setup. 
give them some uh, some nice uh, snacks to eat and then start that's what shrinks do that's what psychologists do right they make you comfortable first because you're less confrontational you're more accommodating more agreeable and 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 so on right so a lot of these things help now if somebody's got severe problem they can take an anger management course there's lots of help online lots of help and you just search it you'll find written pieces you'll find videos lots of and you can find proper courses you don't have to tell anybody about this you're doing it for yourself so if you're not married yet and you want to you want to sort this out or you are married and you know this is having an issue own up to it go and take us don't even tell your spouse just go and sort yourself out and inshallah inshallah that will enhance you owe this to not just yourself but your future generations because the way you're going to do things right now is going to impact your children and your grandchildren and everything else everything matters here everything matters here the way you do things it's like where you hit the golf ball in a football it's not that much of a i mean it does make a big difference as well but in a golf ball it makes a bigger difference that's how we have to think a little millimeter and it's many meters off track you owe it to yourself take a course and sort yourself out and ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance ask allah for assistance if your spouse has the ability to just naturally be a therapist then you'll help yourself as long as you're willing as well uh, but if they're stubborn then then no you're not always going to get a therapist of a spouse who are who is a therapist without realizing it they just got the knack to calm situations down ask allah for such a spouse because they're very helpful spouses be one like that for your spouse right that's number 1 let's take another example another example we'll take is emotion okay uh how many of you consider that they have an anger problem okay we've got about four guys here five guys here only 1 2 3 okay four yeah it's good to recognize this i mean it's uh, we're not looking at anybody else here that yeah i know somebody like that you might do it's really about ourselves let's take another example and another aspect another b- big behavioral aspect is emotion uh, sensitivity so at small things you start crying and you go off and you stop talking these are all extra sensitivity small small things bother you very insecure right and you just don't have that kind of confidence or whatever what do you do with that then you get help it's not going to sort itself out just like that you need to recognize it's a problem and then get some help there's again a lot of help with this so for example there's a guy there's a there's a woman i know who got married to somebody who who has two sisters and a brother in the house that are both disabled they're physically challenged but she was still willing to marry into that knowing that she's going to have to serve that family and she's fine she's very selfless and she's got a mother-in-law but no father-in-law they got married and then the mother-in-law has this emotion problem so they're the two kind of uh, sane women in the house the others have mentally challenged so whenever something little misunderstanding or whatever she stops talking to her daughter-in-law for two days how can you live like that right how can you live like that is that how you deal with it just stop talking to people that's lazy that's very lazy once my kid came home he was about i don't know 6 or 7 at that time or 
And just in conversation, he says that, oh, I'm not talking to my friend. Like, I stopped talking to him. I said, I overheard that conversation. I said, hold on, where did you learn to stop talking to someone? You, don't, you just don't do that. You learn that from people. That's how others do it. So you think, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Where did you learn that from? None of us in the family do this. You know, nobody in my family does this. Me and my brothers, we will have an argument, no problem. But we don't stop talking. We just deal with it. We just say what we need to and it's done. Right? So that's how he told him, like, you can't do that. You need to deal with it. I said, you need to make dua for this guy because this is a guy that you're going to be with, you know, in your classmate for the next two, three years until you finish that school. And you're going to constantly have to deal with this. We have to teach our children to manage these kind of emotions. Usually people grow up if they've not been taught how to manage emotions because emotions can be managed. So he said, yeah, you don't ever stop talking. Yeah, there are valid reasons to stop talking. If they're a big fitna, then you want to avoid them. But otherwise, no, just have a discussion, clarify, get it done. But what happens if you're just so teary and you just get emotion? Well, let's put it this way. You're wasting your tears. You're, you're crying for free. There's people who on the 27th night can't cry. They try their best to cry to Allah. They can't. And mashallah, there you are just pouring it all out for free. Like, what's the point of that? Right? So what should you do? So I can, I mean, there's lots of help online. Let me, let me give you two suggestions, that, because this was a big issue, so I did consult, and uh, one, of the best, uh, one of the best solutions I got for this, uh, two things. Number one, get into the habit of reading the Qur'an with meaning. So invest in a translation and start reading. Whenever you feel let down, emotional, sensitive, pick up the Qur'an, start reading, and you will find multiple things to cry about. So pour your, pour your, release your emotions there and they'll be much more valuable than doing it for free where nobody helps you. No way, you don't get anything. That's one thing. Now you can't always open up a Quran and start crying, can you? What you do then instead is you raise your hands to Allah and cry out to Him. So don't waste your tears. And the tear that is in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much more useful, much more beneficial. So is there any emotional people that like, find crying very easily and stop talking, uh, like crying easily? Anybody? Nobody. Usually it's in women, more in women. So yeah, there's more there. But yeah, try this. Believe me, it's very, very helpful. And you'll just develop a relationship with Allah and He'll give you. So don't waste it. Remember, that's, that's a weakness, but it could be a strength. That's the amazing thing about Allah has given you. right? It's a weakness, but it can be adopted and modified as a strength. Just channel it in the right direction. Okay, so you understand now that's Otherwise, you're going to mess your marriage up. You're going to mess your relationships up. You probably already are doing that. Now you'll be that stronger, confident person, inshallah. Because you're not going to cry in front of anyone. You're going to cry only to Allah and you're going to strengthen yourself. Okay, number three. Let's take uh, stinginess. Somebody mentioned stinginess. Let's take that. Now that's a big issue. Because that nobody enjoys stingy people, do they? Now in here, it's worse in a man than in a woman. In a husband-wife relationship. Because a man has to spend... Right? If you've got a stingy wife, that's actually very good in some cases. Right? Because they'll really protect, you know, because the guys I hear complaining, my wife just spends too much. There's one guy, uh, there's one woman who came and she said that my husband asked for an itemized bill or itemized uh, report of where, uh, where she spent the money. All right? Now, what do I say about that? Good or bad? Well, it just depends. If some, uh, because there are some people who have a spending problem. 
Right? So obviously they need to be reined in by the wife or the husband, whichever side it is. And uh, if you don't have that issue, you know, we can discuss uh, you know, the exact Sharia guidance and advice on how that all works. But that's an issue. Now, if the husband is spingy, though, that's going to mess up a marriage. Right? That's going to be worse because he's the one who has to spend. So now look at this. Uh, a bit of fiqh here, right? a bit of jurisprudence here, is that your children, if they've got their own money, they're three and five or six years old, they've got their own money, from Eid money or for gifts or inheritance or whatever, then do you know that you actually can use their money for their expenses? So you could literally, if they're using a room in the house, which they will be, you can actually charge them a rent from that. I don't suggest you do, but technically, you know, if you're struggling, so you would be valid to, you don't have to spend, if they have their own money, for the food, for their clothing, for whatever else, you can actually take from their money to spend on them. That's completely fine. Yeah, where they don't have money or their money is, has a shortfall, you're obliged, the man, the, the, the father is obliged to spend on them, right, and earn for that. On the other hand, like, you know, a lot of people ask this question about child benefit. Can I not spend? You, it's actually the government gives it to you as the parent, usually to the wife, to spend for the family, usually. So it's actually not the children's. But you get it by virtue of having children. So it's not obliged, and usually we spend enough on the children to justify that anyway. So it's not like, oh, that's that's, I can't touch that money. It's actually for you. We've got a whole fatwa written on our fatwa center about the reality of uh, child benefit and where you can uh, spend it and so on and the nature of it. However, what's really interesting in our sharia is that even if your wife is a millionaire, the husband is still responsible to pay for her food, clothing and, and lodging. Even if she's a millionaire, literally, the husband's required according to their uh, family standards. Right? What that basically means is that if you got a wife that, uh, Kay, uh, that, that usually shops at uh, Next, then you can't force her to shop at George, Asda, or Primark. Nothing wrong with those places, but they might find that that's... So it, uh, uh, there's difference of opinion here, but I think what they eventually say is that it's based on husband and wife standard. If she's... Uh, usually their family shops from Primark, then cool, right? Unless you're like thrift store, right? Uh, or whatever. But you understand where you're going. Now, if you get somebody whose family shops at always designer, Selfridges, Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, Harrods, then if you're going to bring an elephant as a pet, then you have to feed them that much, right? You understand? I mean, the, if you have a pet, then, or you have a big guzzler of a car, then that's how much your insurance is going to cost and that's how much... I'm not making any other equations. I'm just saying that, um, you know, if you're going to get a really heavy car, then you're going to have to put that much... Pay. You can't complain about petrol afterwards, can you? Right? After you get a 7 Series and you're like complaining about petrol, like go and get a 3 Series then. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that, that's basically the way the fic works. It's based on culture. Can you see where the culture comes into it? It's based on the culture of the husband and wife. That's why they especially say for wives, for the women, don't ever get married to somebody substandard to you because that's going to be tough. For the man, it's okay for him to be you know, getting somebody on a higher level because he's usually the responsible person in the house. But for a wife, that's very tough psychologically in every way. Unless she's willing to do it, then it's fine. She's willing to come down to that level. So now, uh, basically what I'm saying is that, yes, if she wants luxury items beyond their level, 
you know, she wants luxury items, well, yeah, she can spend her own money on that, right? But otherwise, it's the husband's response. Now, if he's stingy, there's going to be a problem. So I got a call once. His wife is complaining that the husband is very, very stingy. So usually, when they say that, you ask for examples, because you want to get down to the bottom. Like, what exactly do you mean by stingy? So we've got old furniture in the house. There's a cupboard that the door is just about. Now, what I did was, it's just about surviving. And I said, but why doesn't he get a new one? He says, well, we don't really, it works. Right? So I said, let me talk to the husband. So I talked to the husband, and he goes, look, it works. Like, it's okay, you know, and I don't want to waste money. I don't want to do israf. Now, until I don't see it, I can't really give a judgment. But based on what they're saying, it did sound a bit stingy there, right? There was another issue. She had gotten into the whole health thing. Healthy foods. So she wanted organic milk. That's not going to happen, is it? Right? So um, now I took the husband to a side on the phone and I said, look, you know, your marriage is going to mess up like this. It's a big issue for your wife. We need to give something here, right? We need to sort something out here. Maybe not everything, but we need to start somewhere. So I said, okay, let's, how much does organic milk cost compared to normal milk, right? So does anybody know what's the difference between a four pint of organic to a four pint normal? It's not double. I don't think it's double. It's at one time, it was about 50 pence or something. Now, it might be uh, much more, but I think it was 50, 60 pence. Does anybody know? Anybody into it? Yeah, how much? May, is, that, is that from Waitrose? In Asda. The last time I checked, I think it was 60 pence because we bought organic milk for a few times. Anyway, okay, 150. <laughs> Maybe it's gone up. So I made a calculation with him. I said, look, this is how much... I, I said, how much milk do you need in a, month, in a week? So he said, this much. So I made a calculation. I said, it's probably going to be... At that time, it was about 60, 70 pound extra. A year. I said, you're going to mess your marriage up for 60, 70 pounds? A lot of the time, we, we have to give. I might, not be, I might not believe in organic milk. All right? But sometimes you just have to let the other, if it's not going to have a major impact in your life, people need to be happy. So stinginess never works. Um, stinginess means that, for example, let's just say everybody gives your children ED. Do you know what ED is? Right, everybody knows it is Eid gifts, right? So they're giving your children Eid gifts and you're like, brother, this is bid'ah. So you don't give anybody else, but you're fine to take it because there's no sunnah of that. So you're like, brother, this is bid'ah ya akhi. Right? I'm not going to give anybody Eidi gifts. That's stinginess. There's a fundraiser going on and everybody's crying and you know, weeping about what's going on in you know, wherever it is in the world and they're paying you know, 500 and 1,000 pounds and you know, more than that and you're worried about 50 pounds. That's stinginess. Stinginess in the Sharia. You see, again, you might naturally be stingy. That's not a problem. That's the weakness. That's a behavioral trait that Allah has created you with. You're not punished for that. You're not blameworthy for that. But you are blameworthy if you don't take care of it. You allow it to overcome you in a place where you're supposed to not be. So where is it wajib to spend and can't be stingy? Where is it fard? Zakat. If you don't pay your zakat because your miser stops you from doing that, you are sinful big time. That's when you will be sinful for that trait. Or sadaqah, that you'd be blameworthy. Or where social obligation. So, for example, you go with your friends to eat. And when it comes time, when everybody's finished, and it comes time to pay the bill, the bill is coming, you go to wash your hands. Some people, they go to wash their hands. Some people go to the cashier to try to pay in advance of everybody else. Just figure yourself out. It's going to cause problems. It's probably already causing problems. So sort it out. How do you sort out? Trust in Allah. Trust in Allah. And when you start spending, you realize that you actually don't lose. 
you, do, you, you actually get much more out of it And you actually don't lose When you spend You're not going to think back and say Oh I spent that I don't have that Allah replaces And what you, you know the amazing thing is That if you spend on your family Within reason It's a sadaqah can you, can you believe that? If I give money to Ummah Welfare Trust For Palestine or wherever And I spend on my family for their needs And their comfort to a certain degree I get reward because this is a sadaqah I get rewarded for spending on your family as a man Or as a woman if, you, if, you wanna, if you've got the money and you want to spend on there right? You know when it comes to Ashura It's like we have competition in the house now The children are grown up like everybody wants to Because you, know, you get barakah for the whole year if you spend extensively on your family So there I am trying to bring stuff and my wife's trying to get stuff And my son and daughter are trying to give stuff That's the real time for Edis really I think right? And Ashura So yeah get rid of your stinginess problem do you know that there was a Sahabiya, she is the sister of Hinda, Hind, the Abu Sufyan's wife, radiallahu anhum, and uh, she was proposed by Zubair ibn al-Awam, radiallahu an, by Ali, radiallahu an, and by another uh, really prominent Sahabi, she rejected all of them. One of them was Amir al-Mu'mina, I can't remember, Ali or Umar, radiallahu an, right? My assumption is that her sister went through a stingy husband. Right, Hind, because Abu Sufyan was very stingy apparently, and the Prophet actually gave her permission to take uh, whatever was needed. There's a fatwa. The Prophet gave her that you can actually take from your husband without him knowing to spend on your needs. Now, I'm not giving you that as a fatwa here because uh, you might misuse it, but yeah, if you do have that issue, consult a scholar and then maybe you can do the same thing. But I think she learned from that, so she refused all of them. Not that they were stingy, but Talha was called Al Fayyad. That was his name, radiallahu anhu, his title, very, very generous. Right? Now, don't, st- don't not get married until you find a very, very generous guy because, you know, you, you, you have to balance everything out. So you understand where we're going with this, right? Sort out the issues before it comes. Okay, a few more and then we'll break for prayer uh, while we're on this topic. Another one is, if you're really into your friends or you're really into your families, and then you get married, you're going to struggle because you're going to have to give up some of this. You can't be out every day while your wife is there. In some cases, I've seen the guys out with his mates, right? Because that's what they used to do. And she's there waiting with the food because she doesn't want to eat without him. They're waiting 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11, 12, and then she falls asleep, Bichari. Right? That's completely wrong. You can't do that anyway. You're going to have to invest in this. You can't say, no, I'm not going to change my life. Well, that's, you better change your life. Once the smooth, once it gets going, one, two, three years, then, you know, you kind of understand each other, you're confident with one another, you have security with another, you can do other things. It doesn't mean that and wives and husbands should not be so possessive of one another that they don't allow the other to do. It's not, you do have to have other things in your life. Likewise, the problem we have with a lot of women is that, especially if their parents are very close, they like to spend too much time at their parents' house. This is your new house, and you have to realize that. I just got a call two days ago. Literally, and this guy, the husband is a bit over the top. He only allows her to go twice, right, a week, right? And I don't know the background, so there could be reasons. Sometimes you learn bad things from your parents' house because there's some, something going on. There could be multiple reasons. But I did tell her that I think your husband's overdoing it. But at the end of the day, you got, he, he, he's willing to divorce her if she doesn't listen. So he's saying, that, he's saying that on the Wednesday, she can go on Saturday when he's at work. And then on the Wednesday, he, she can go from the morning. 
But she has to be back for when he comes back for lunch to serve him lunch. And she's having a problem with that. I said, well, that's quite a few hours in the morning, given your situation. I'm not talking to your husband, I'm talking to you. Given your situation, that seems fine. Just come back. He said, no, but he wants it his way and all of that. So it's more of an issue of like, why is he trying to control me? Okay. So I said, look, then just, just uh, make a stand. No, he'll divorce me. So I said, what do I do now? I can only speak to you. Make dua and try to use soft power to make him secure enough that eventually he'll let you go. So I said, but isn't that enough hours? He goes, no, but they wake up at 11 o'clock. My family, they work up at 11 o'clock. I said, okay, you know, there's not much I can do about that. But people get into these kind of situations. And uh, it, culturally speaking, some people really have a problem with this. Uh, there's a belief in some cultures that if we've brought the girl over, it's, they look at it as an um, insult that they keep going back to their homes. It's like, we don't provide you enough here. Right? In fact, some are so extreme about this. If the wife brings from her parents' house food, these, the, the, this family will not eat it. They see it as lower than this. It's a very bad, debilitating culture. Right? Should be very casual about these things. But there are some women who, and men who give a standing, running commentary of their marriage. Okay? Running commentary on their marriage every day to their family, their mum, and then she remote controls the marriage. Right? Do this, do that. All right? Or to their friends, a group of friends on WhatsApp, and giving a whole, and they're giving their feedback. So this woman can't think for herself. I've had that case. We've got enough soap operas out there. We've got Netflix. You don't need another one. Right? There's a case where a woman did that. Uh, she was always consulting her mother. And one day her mother said, you know what? From now on, I don't want you to tell me anything. I want you to deal with it. So she felt very, very bad. But then after that, the, the relationship actually improved. And then when she had a discussion with her mother, her mother told her why. She said that, look, your husband is yours. You know him better than I do. My experience is with my husband. He's a different personality. So I can only give you certain advice. Your mom doesn't have all that advice. In fact, sometimes your mom has bad advice. Like, let me tell you that. And they're very biased. That doesn't mean you completely avoid your, your mother. You, you do really need to realize if your mother is biased or not. There's a woman who's 40 years old. She's finally come out of, an abu uh, of a marriage that she's never been happy with, but with three children. And she was actually doing okay because she then started an Alima course and had something going, had the deen. There's a lot of others who are depressed and totally messed up. And some have left their faith because of this. So she got married, blackmailed into a marriage. Some cultures are worse than others in this regard. You know, to a cousin or whatever. Blackmailed because her father was going through some heart problems. She didn't want to marry this guy. They said, your father's going to, you know, if he gets sick, it's going to be all on you. She got married. And she just couldn't get along with this guy because he was a bit of a loser. All right? And then she went to her mom. Her mom goes, have children. As though that's going to help. She had one child. And then still no problem. Have more children. He'll sort himself. That is, I've seen in marriages, that is not a solution. It is in a few cases where having children bring them, they anchor, the, uh, they get responsible, but not in the majority of marriages. Not necessarily. It's not a solution all the time. Okay? So, uh, alhamdulillah, she finally got out of it, and now she's happier. She, uh, she's much happier. So, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, there's multiple other things like that. There's multiple other things like that. You're going to have to invest in this new marriage. You can't do everything that you used to do before. right? You need to invest in this and then after that figure out the adjustments. There's some uh, spouses that are too possessive. And it leads to paranoia. Uh, it leads them to start checking their husband's phones uh, and emails and uh, check on them. And 
you're just kidding yourself, right? You're mining for misery, essentially. You're mining for misery. That's what you're doing. And it's a, it's a circle uh, that they get into and they can't get out of it. Get help you in that situation because it's not healthy for you, right? Whether he's doing something or not. Husbands obviously should not flirt around and, do thing and bring that paranoia or keep telling, I'm going to get married again, right? They shouldn't do this unless they're really serious and they know what they're talking about, okay? So uh, the, the, these are a, a number of these things. Then there's a lot of other things. I mean, the wife's in bed, the husband's on a laptop in another room. Right, seeing stuff that he shouldn't be seeing. There's lots of stuff like that. Addictions are going to be a problem. Football is going to be a problem. Uh, like the guy is just into his football too much. He has to go and play. Or he has to come and watch football every night for this many hours, or play games for that matter. You know, it could be. Or it's the wife on her WhatsApp. You know, I've had a complaint of a really dignified individual in our community that his wife's always on WhatsApp even when she's cooking. Right? And I'm thinking, subhanAllah, in time, the Prophet and the wives used to come and complain to the Prophet about their husbands praying all night. And not coming to bed because of that. Right? I said, how it's changed now. Right? How things have changed now. And this could be either way. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Though. I mean, this is just the example I'm mentioning uh, to you. There's lots of distractions now. That's why you have to balance everything. You have to balance, you have to balance everything. So this is the way to prepare yourself for marriage. Can you see the preparation? This is what's going to matter. This is when, uh, what's really going to matter. That's why when you look for a spouse... Look for a package of qualities that are relevant to marriage. Don't get married because she's beautiful or he's wealthy. Because that's not all what marriage is about. Marriage is not just about beauty. Yes, that would be wonderful to have beauty. I'm not saying discount it. But that's not the only reason. So you don't get married to somebody so beautiful, mashallah, that you're going to bring them into your front room and you're going to have a special place for them, a stage, and you're going to watch them all day because that's what marriage is about. Is that what marriage is about? You don't buy a car just because it's got a size of an engine, but the seats are not very good, the experience is not very good, it's not very reliable. What's the point of that? If you're going to buy anything, or you're going to get anything, you need to have a package of qualities. You need a package of qualities. So what are the qualities relevant to marriage? Look for those. Not just one, oh, she dresses well. So what? That's not the only thing in marriage. That's a one aspect. She cooks amazing. Look at those Instagram videos she's got. Look at that baking stuff. Wow, man, I want to get married to her. Is that what you're going to do all, li all your life? Is that what marriage is about? Just eat cakes? Right? He's flashing his cars. Or he's flashing his Rolexes. Or whatever. Is that what you're getting married into? What about behavior? What about kindness? What about the way we're going to live together? Can you see? Don't be reductionist and just look for one quality. This is what a lot of people do. They look for one quality. They get besotted with this quality. And then that's it. No, this is just one quality. It's just one quality. Right? Look for multiple qualities that are relevant to what you're trying. This, this works everywhere, whether in a partnership or anything. Don't just fall for one point, because everything is made up of multiple qualities. So let us stop here. Any questions on this, we'll take after salat, inshallah. And uh, I'm just giving you a way to think. There's a lot more things than that. But these were some of the big issues, right? That are going to impact your marriage or are impacting your marriage. Sort them out, right? Get some help. And Allah help us to sort ourselves out and improve our marriages. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level. 
so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.